Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players podcast. This is one of the specials we do and one of the most popular shows that we do. The Pro Player Roundtable show for the Preakness. want to thank our friends at Mill Ridge Farm for sponsoring this show. What a great place Mill Ridge is. If you're looking for a farm to tour in Kentucky, I recommend it highly. You've got uh, Price Bell, Heedley Bell. They do such a fantastic job over there, and they've raised countless grade one winners on this property, now standing Oscar performance, and just really a a place you want to go and see when you're in Lexington, Kentucky. Now, speaking of Lexington, Kentucky, tonight both of the guests on this pro player show are from that uh, fine place in our country. We'll start with the man who's the the stalwart of these shows. I think he's been on every single pro player show we've done going back several years now. Professional horse player, Sean Borman. Sean, how are things? Doing good, doing good. Glad to be on with you guys. And then we're also bringing, and he's been on the airwaves a ton, but never in this format before. And I think it's a format that uh, he's not going to feel too bad about being on. I always hesitate to hold his feet to the fire too much in terms of giving selections in a race because that's not really the way his thought process works he's somebody who's much more process oriented betting oriented when you talk about professional horse players from lexington kentucky this might be one of the first names that comes to a lot of people's minds he is uh an author and a raconteur he is mike maloney mike what's going on not much pete just uh watching the uh celtics try to get something done here (laughs) I like it. Multitasking. That's something we approve of on these airwaves always. So elsewhere in the network, we've talked about the the six stakes at the end of the Saturday card, and I'm happy to go over those again. I think that's where most of the interest lies. But we'll start it off just with a a super general question about the the undercard. Mike, I don't know how much of that you've looked at or if you just focused on the stakes, but in terms of your betting on this Saturday card, where do you figure to get yourself started? Um. You know, to be like a hundred percent honest, Pete, um, Pimlico is is not a track that that I have ever really felt in touch with. You know, like really felt like I was on top of it when the when it's Preakness time. I always, you know, I always seem to dabble, uh, but it, you know, it's hard not to. But it, it's not a it's, it's not a track that I'm that I'm anxious to play i'll put it that way so the the early races i i was just like scanning through looking for something the only the, i guess the only thing i have worth and this is probably not worth mentioning because the horse is going to be the favorite but in the third race it's a maiden special weight uh long on the turf and there's a horse going to be the favorite evan harlan the four horse um just looks like he's had two sprints on the turf and now he gets to go long and it just looks like he's screaming to to do that so um i thought he might be a good single like in the early picks and i was going to use him with the five and eight in the inside the race four with five eight for mike really interesting pedigree on this evan harlan being by temple city who's a dynaformer a sire i know mike you've had some interest in over the years and then the damp side pedigree really interesting too with bullet train in there uh, getting some of that uh, frankel bloodline yeah th- this horse should stretch out no problem at all what we, we haven't talked about temple city in a few years as a sire has he fulfilled the promise uh, you thought he had, or are you still expecting more from him? Where, where do you stand on Temple City these days? You know, I'd say a little, like maybe just slightly disappointed, Pete, but um, 
you know, Dynaformer took a long time himself. So, uh, I, you know, I still, um, I like to bet these, so, you know, this horse is a good example of the horse that we, that we mentioned in third race. Uh, you know, I, I, I just have a lot of confidence, uh, w- when they stretch out and, and as they get, you know, as they get older, uh, I, I think they, their form just tends to keep improving. So, uh, you know, it, it just seems like, uh, like he's following in, you know, he's not near the level that Dynaformer ended up being, but he's kind of following in that same path. And, and I think anytime you can get a, you can get a stallion, even if he's Temple City's level and you know really what the project he wants to do, then that's an advantage betting wise. You know, you, 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 you can fill that slot with them and, and have, have a little extra confidence when they're doing exactly what they're bred to do. Long on the turf certainly uh, fits the profile when it comes to Temple City. Sean, how about you? Let's bring you in to talk about uh, maybe anything you want to on the undercard, or we can just dive into uh, some of the stakes action. What do you think? Uh, you know, I really struggled to find to find anything almost on this entire card that I was that excited to bet, to be, to be totally honest. I just, you know, I, I, everything I gravitated to was going to be a short price and I didn't have supreme confidence in any of it. So I, I don't have a great undercard opinion. I, I have some opinion in the Preakness itself, but these other races, I'm, you know, I'm probably not even going to bet. Well, and that's something that's your prerogative, and as a professional player, something you have to do. I mean, a weekend warrior might hear that and think it's crazy to not have a bet on, uh, you know, all but one race on the Preakness card. But, I mean, as I say many times on these airwaves, this is one of the advantages about being a horse player. There's no ante, and that ability to be able to pass races and to know when to pass races is actually a super valuable tool that you have in your toolbox. If you want to keep your powder dry for Belmont or Hong Kong, as it might be in your case, Sean, later in the night on Saturday. I mean, if you if you if you're not able to have that forbearance and make those tough decisions, you're not going to get too far as a horse player. No, no, that's that's exactly right, and that's something that you know, working with Mike all those years was one of the things that that he really taught me was that it's it's perfectly okay to pass some winners. You know, if you if you just sit there and and bet every single race that you have an opinion on, you, know, you can go broke real fast doing stuff like that. So it's, you've got to learn what's a strong opinion, what's a weaker opinion when the odds are in your favor. And, and that's when you really need to play. And, and quite frankly, I made a, a big mistake on, on Kentucky Derby weekend by, by foregoing Hong Kong and, and focusing all my energy on, on the Derby weekend. And, you know, I missed some good opportunities um, on, on bets that I didn't, you know, that, sh- that really I shouldn't have made on, on Derby weekend. I just didn't have strong enough opinions to, to really dabble in some of those races. But that's, that's a very good point. You don't have to play. That's one of the advantages we have. Do you remember the line in the book, Mike, that you say about this issue Sean is talking about? Um, uh, you know, you, you may have to refresh my memory, but I, I, want, <laughs> I want to say uh, – you know, Sean, uh, we, we talked a lot about uh, deciding what races to get into, but 
in all honesty, he was always better at that at staying out of races than I was. I've, 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 uh, my, my trigger finger has always been a little quick. <laughs> you have a line in the book. The book is called betting with an edge where you say, if you're not passing winners, oh. it means you're betting too many races. You know, and that, I think that's, that yeah. <laughs> well, you wrote it for goodness sake. So it makes sense. But at, at the same time, let's not kid, or, kid ourselves here. Just because Sean himself, uh, you know, as a professional player, isn't necessarily going to be betting some of these undercard races or these stakes as we get later in the card, he's still sick enough that he'll have a, an opinion to share with us. True or false? Yes, he's definitely that sick. And 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 you know, his 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 trigger finger may you know it may not be as bad as mine, but it can get a little itchy too. So. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I, I got a feeling he finds something to, to dive in on somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably true. That's probably true. Should should we skip ahead to the dinner party? You did if if unless you unless you have a, a specific uh, a specific thought on anything before a strong opinion, even if you're not going to bet it on a shorter priced horse, Sean. I'm I'm happy to let you call your shot and uh, and, and pick where we begin here. Well, you know. I the the favorite and the morning line favorite in the in the Chick Lane um, old homestead. He's I think he's interesting, and I think there's a there's some kind of chance he could develop into a real nice sprinter. Um, but I couldn't bet him at at the price he seems like he's going to be. Um, you know, he's got a he's got sort of a figure pattern that I like to see. That you know, he ran ran real fast early down at Delta, and then rated a little kinder last time and, and, and finished, you know, finished fast. Um, so it, th- that shows me that he's got some dimensions to him that, that he's not necessarily a one way speed ball. Um, and that, you know, he, he's an interesting horse to me, but I, I can't imagine I'm going to climb in there and, you know, two to one or less try to try to bet him. It could be a tricky pace scenario. It looks like plenty of speed signed on in that one. How about you, Mike, in terms of another race you might get involved in? Do you see yourself? I don't know if this is embarrassing to say, but this isn't one of the MJC sponsored shows. So, so I can admit that I'm not sure if there's a guaranteed payout or anything. And that certainly will be a factor because this is a rainbow pick six situation usually um, at uh, at the Maryland tracks, but do you see yourself getting involved in the pick six here on Saturday, or what? What, what do you think that of the later races? How, how might you want to get involved? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably play a, a small ticket on the uh, in the pick six, Pete, um, just because uh, I'm a junkie for that kind of thing, and because you know there's a there, there's a race later that looks like a single, and um, so at least you got something to work with, and you know these races are. I, you know, I'm not. They don't come together real well for me. Some of the races leading up to that, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably play that little trick where I, I try to maybe pick the uh, the eighth race for the dinner party, the first leg of the pick six, and it, you know, if I miss, which would you know wouldn't surprise me at all, uh, then I'll just go back in the pick five in the next race instead of spending a bunch of money on that first race. Who would you use? How would you narrow it down? Um, the the horse that I'm going to use for sure, and the horse that I might press a little bit would be the six Atone. Um, I just think he's going to get a good trip, no matter how they do it. I don't see a lot of pace in here, 
and um, you know, I think he's just guaranteed a good trip. He can he can close, but he has tactical speed also. So um, you know, I don't see any real jackpot that he that he should ever get into. And I think the you know the pace will hurt the the program pick is set piece number three, and uh, you know he's a you know he's a really solid horse. But um, if the pace sets up like it looks on paper, he's he's going to have really have his work cut out for him. I agree, Sean. I was curious to get your opinion on who you think might make the lead in here. The Timeform U.S. pace projector actually does have a tone on the front, but I was wondering if English B under Saez uh, might be sent to make the lead. I know that's not like a particularly grand motion thing to do, but in such a paceless race with an aggressive rider like Saez, I was trying to make a case that maybe English B could, uh, could wire him or at least run second to a tone head. Well, how do you see the pace scenario in here? And do you have any opinion in the race? Yeah, it's, it's very tricky. I, I would say, it's probably going to be one of those two. Um, and looking at the riders, you know, you've got to think Irad would let Saez go and, and just sort of stalk him. Um, but then I think there could there could be some chance that they you know that they send the the one horse. They've done it once before and it didn't work at all. But he's another one of these that has you know some tactical speed, and if he breaks sharp. I could sort of see, you know, Saez and, and Ortiz both letting him go. Um, it, it's a very, it's a strange pace scenario, and it's going to be very slow because I don't think, I don't think any of the guys that look like they could make the lead are really going to even want the lead. So it, it looks just like a sort of a crawl of a pace, and then just a, a little quicken at the end, and whoever's going to quicken the best is probably going to win this race. Another weird thing about the pace scenario that both Tango, 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 the one and English B are Calumet Farm owned. So you figure there you might see some cross barn team tactics in there. And, and that is an interesting point about potentially sending the one if they think English B wants to sit. But I don't know. The jockey booking of Saez does seem to indicate to me, along with the pace figures, that that could be that that could be interesting. We'll see. I, I mean, I definitely take Mike's point about trying to take a tone and, and hope you get a little bit of value with set piece, maybe being even money. I pulled a stat on the other show we just did about the Bradcox turf numbers in 2022, notably not up to his usual lofty standards, something like 14% winners, 30 something percent in the money, dreadful ROI. I mean, historically he's so good on turf. I don't think there's much signal in it but it does make me not want to take a horse that might be even money in a negative pace scenario. Do you care at all about trainer stats like that, Sean, at this point in your career? No, not really. I mean, especially with a guy like Brad Cox. I mean, we all know Brad Cox can train. We all know he can train on turf. You know, I sort of default to, to just more of their overall ability than just, you know, specific stats like that. Um, but it's something – it's something you need to be aware of, and you know if the if the horse was going to be four to one, that you know maybe you make the play. But if he's going to be even money, and, and you've got a real negative stat, maybe that maybe that should keep you off it. But you know, like Asmussen over eighty two heading into Derby weekend was 
that that didn't really work out for anybody. Like he <laughs> totally forgot how to train horses or some shit. So <laughs> yeah, uh, that one was over in a hurry. He, yeah, he won. Yeah, he he won some. I mean, he tipped his hand early that that stat wasn't gonna gonna carry forward. What about you, Mike? When it comes to trainer stats these days, I know historically it's been something that you you know found a bunch of pet angles that you you can use to help you out. But what about a stat like the one on Cox I just pulled or the Asmussen one heading into Derby weekend? How much, if at all, do you look at that kind of stuff these days? You know, I I I, I try to pay attention to it, um, and and. You know, sometimes it works against you, like like all statistics can at times. But I just like to know everything I can know. Um, and you know, Sean makes a good point about letting the the odds of the horse have some impact on how much credence you're going to give the trainer stats. You know, you if you're you know, like he said, if you if it's a price horse, you don't you don't want to let uh, you know some trainer stat throw you throw you off a, a big winner but um I, I think i remember seeing something and i spend a lot more time on formulator than i ever did before and um I, I just get more as time goes on i get more and more comfortable with it and uh it it really does it really does help me and you know nothing's going to push you the right direction every time but it, it really does help me and and i think i was looking at a Cox horse and this has been a while back, but, um, uh, a, a turf horse and I, and I put in like two and three year olds or something like that. And I think the number got better. So, um, but that's been a while back. So, um, it, it could be a, it could be something like that. He's so good with young horses. Cox is that, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe the numbers would look better if you, if you separated that out. That's interesting. And earlier in the year, fewer opportunities with no two-year-olds and, uh, you know, just proportionally fewer opportunities for three-year-olds. It could it could skew a stat like that. It's interesting. I mean, it's it's one of those things where you've got to be very careful with stats and, and, and how you use them. But I thought in the case of set piece particularly, it seemed like maybe maybe a reason to to try to go another way to kick off this pick six and of course i won't be surprised when set piece wins by three but let's talk let's talk for another second about the chick lang sean said he's probably not going to bet but made the case for old homestead talked about this on the other show when marshall and i were going through this race uh, after the baseball game just looking it over he and i were both trying to make the six chasing time in here on the cutback as a horse who you know, maybe got the, they got a little derby fever. They wanted to see if this horse could run long, but maybe it's just better sprinting in a race that does look like it's going to set up for one to come from off the pace. Did you have any thought on this race, Mike? And are you buying that case on chasing time at all? That's funny. I'm, you know, that's the horse I'm interested in. I, uh, it is the six chasing time. So, um, you know, anytime I agree with Marshall, I feel smart. So, um, <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a positive. Um, I mean, the, the pace in here has to be like, you know, crazy fast. It looks like, um, and you know, old homestead, you know, Sean's really good with being able to tell when speed horses might have another dimension. And even without him in the mix, which, you know, he very well may still be in the mix, but even without him in the early pace mix, it would still be a fast pace. So, um, 
chasing time is is you know he needs some he needs to move numbers up. I mean, you know, he's not fast enough off anything he's done up to this point. But um, you know, I'm I love turnbacks, and uh, he has shown you know some uh, ability in the past, and uh, you know he's shown it w- without Lasix. So um, you know that's another positive. Um, that's another thing that makes these races so hard to bet for me is when you get into the graded stakes, you you're trying to look at, at form that was, that was accomplished with Lasix and now certain horses don't have it. And it's going to be 95 degrees in the shade up there. It, you know, conditions that will, uh, that will make even non-bleeders turn them into bleeders. So, um, you know, that's another factor in, um, you know, it, it just pushes me away from short price horses in a lot of these races. I'm just skimming through trying to find horses that, that have, you know, enough of a price on them that I'm willing to take the risk that the Lasix on Lasix off whole thing brings, brings into, into play. How has that Lasix on, Lasix off issue, Sean, changed your approach to racing in the last couple of years in the USA? And what about that point that Mike makes specifically about the the, the hot weather? D- does that add yet another uh, question mark on top of it for you as well? Yeah, I, no, it absolutely adds, you know, more question marks, and it's and it's. You know, it's changed. I think it's changed the way all of us look at these races because it's just like Mike was saying, it's just one more variable that you have to account for. And, you know, most of these races this time of year are for younger horses and you just have no idea how they're going to react, you know, coming off Lasix for the first time or going on it for the first time. And it just, it forces you to skip bets you might want to make. And it really, what it should do is it, it should force you to find prices. You know, you can't, like Mike was saying, you, you can't take horses at short prices that, that haven't done it, you know, that haven't done this before. And, you know, it, it's just another, you know, data point you've got to, you've got to account for. It's made things, it's made making figures harder. It's made trusting your figures harder. It's made betting the races harder. It's, it's made it all harder. And there were no doubt this weekend, there will be at least one or two horses that just inexplicably run terribly. And it's probably because they're going to bleed. And we'll probably never know for sure if they actually did bleed because nobody keeps any records of this shit. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's not a good, not a good situation for horse players, in my opinion. What do you think needs to happen? Better reporting of what goes on in races, more consistency in terms of who's allowed to run with Lasix and in, in, in across different jurisdictions. Like what's what's the what's the horse player friendly solution, John? I just think more transparency in, in everything. You know, there there should be a there should be a centralized vet database on all these horses, at least all the horses on at each racetrack. I mean, maybe it's impossible to do a nationwide database, but I mean, there should be just information out there on everything these horses go through from a veterinarian standpoint. 
I mean, I, you know, they, that's what they do that in Hong Kong. And I got it printed in my PPs, you know, down at the bottom where like in the U S style PPs where the workouts are, I've got all the vet information that, that these horses have gone through and just, it's tremendously helpful. You can look down and see, you know, if a horse just runs terribly one day out of nowhere, you can look down and see that it bled or that it had a suspensory injury or that it, this or that it's, you know, it gives you more confidence to make bets. So that would be my first thing. It's just, it's just transparency. Let us know what's going on. I mean, they want us to bet these races, but you know, they, they don't give you accurate information half the time. When they even give it to you, so it's a let's pipe, move on. It's a pipe dream that that'll ever happen, but that's what should happen. No, I mean I think you you lay it out very clearly and point out that you know I mean Hong Kong's a different animal, but it's it's not it's not crazy to think that that could happen here and would certainly increase wagering confidence if it could. Whether or not it will or not is another question for another podcast. But now let's talk about the tenth race on the card. We've got uh, the James W. Murphy stakes. Mike, you mentioned th- the thought of playing a little pick six, maybe coming back at a pick five in here if the first leg doesn't work out. Any runners of particular interest to you in here? Um, this would be more of a spread-type race uh, for, for me, uh, uh, just with the exception of, of, of one horse. And I, I want to see how the how the turf is playing leading up to this Uh it did, today I watched some, and it, it looked, you know, it looked uh, – well, they didn't run on the turf today, but so far this meet, it's been very fair. You could run in whatever path you wanted to. We're doing this on Thursday. So uh, I, earlier in the meet, it, it seems like you could be in any path you wanted to on the turf course. But that is always subject to change. Um and I'm sure maybe they'll be on some fresher ground for these big races on the weekend. Um, not sure about that, but a uh, Joe number 10, if you, if those outside paths are still good, um, I would be very interested in him. I've, I've, you know, look, look through that pedigree and I, I, I satisfied myself that I thought the turf would be okay for him. Uh, you know, he's sprinting on it once, but it looks like there's some, some, uh, other horses in that family that, that long on the turf was, was what they like to do. Uh, and I think he's, he's the fastest horse. So if the track doesn't throw me off before that in the races leading up to that, then, then I might, I might come back with him as a, as either a single or a strong press. Uh, past him, I would have to use a handful of horses, two, three, five, seven, eight. Um, so you can see why I'm not too, uh, not too anxious to do that. So, um, you know, I, I, there again, if, if I miss the first leg of the pick six, uh, good chance that I would just come back and single the 10 and then go pick four if if I don't get live. So um, I, I don't have any problem doing that. I think it's actually a good strategy sometimes if you when you're in that situation. Hey, I like this horse the best, and past him, I can't separate the next five or six. 
So you're, you're, you know, it's such a different ticket. You have to structure when you go to those bees, um, that, that you, you just, you lose so much equity and then, you know, you're running the risk that the horse that you liked the best anyway wins and, and pays $6 and, then you've blown a lot of e- equity on your beach. So I uh, w- want to avoid that. And, you know, I'd rather just be out of the bed early and be able to adjust and not have lost much than to tie up a bunch of money and uh, lose all my equity early. It's a very interesting point and something that you talk about uh, in the book and on these shows plenty, Mike, that ability to use different pools to sort of make bets that are greater than the sum of their parts by, you know, yeah, if you if you hit your single in the pick six, you get your spread here. If not, you come back with a single. And by playing the sort of two pools with each other and against each other at the same time, you have a chance to create bets that more accurately reflect your opinion. That's sort of the idea, right? Exactly. And, and, and it's just that you have to fight that urge to, Oh, I want to be live in the pick six on Preakness Day or or Derby Day. You know, that's even as long as I've been doing this, um, I still you know get urges like that. But I, I know it's not the it's not the right way for me to bet. So uh, you know, some people seem to you know they, they they seem to do do well with that. You know, if you're uh, you know if if it works for you. For whatever your style is, maybe you're better at narrowing down these tough races than I am. But then there are people, you know, out there that are. So uh, I, you know, I think it's very uh, much uh, individual based on how you see races, how you handicap, and what you're comfortable with in your bet structure. You know, not everyone uh, is wired to uh, to be comfortable with with making these bets like I've described in these first two legs of making a smaller bet that's kind of concentrated on a few horses and then just turning the page if you lose and and do it again in the next race. That doesn't suit everyone's mindset. So I I think, you know, you have to factor that in too and and bet the way that, you know, that, that it makes sense for you. Sean, do you have any thought on uh, the Murphy before we move along? What do you what when you look at this page? What do you see? <laughs> I have some thoughts on on Mike's wagering strategy, but when I look at this page, I just see a bunch of gobbledygook. Like this race completely confused me, um, and I had almost no opinion in it. But I do want to say I think what Mike was saying is exactly the way you need to go about betting almost anything nowadays um, to err on stronger opinions and fewer combinations and, and betting less money, quite frankly, just because, you know, the biggest competition we have in the pools now are these computer teams and there's just no chance you can, even if you have like some fancy wagering tools that allow you, to weight things differently. There, there's no chance that you can be as efficient as they are going to be. So you can't beat them at their own game. Can't, it's impossible because they get to bet at the last second and we don't. 
you know, they get to set the prices and be more efficient than we are. So, you know, finding those singles and finding the right spots to, to really press your opinions is so important nowadays. It, it just can't, you can't, you can't spread too much in, in almost any pool anymore because it's just impossible. And you say that because the efficiency has just changed it where things that used to pay, you know, just to use a simplistic example, an exacto that used to pay 25 is now paying 16. And and the more combinations you, you play and the more inefficient your wagering is, the, the, the more you're going to pay that price and just get essentially chiseled into into nothingness if you're not careful i'm, I'm guessing that's where you're going with that. yeah that's exactly right i mean it, it you know it was gosh mike how long you know 10 years ago we would, we would be sitting there at keeneland and we'd started saying you know god that try paid 20 percent less than it would have two years ago or, or you know that super's light or you know when they start just whittling away at at the at the payoffs the way they did and this was a decade ago, now they're paying fifty percent less than they used to. Um, I mean, it's that extreme. I think it's absolutely that extreme. You know, I, I, does that does that sound right to you, Mike? I mean, well, you're well, noticing well, the same thing. You know, that I think that the tries and the supers. You know, I I definitely agree that 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 they pay much much less. I think you know I don't have hard data to to back that up, but. I think in the exactas, when you said uh, that used to pay 24 and now they pay 16, um, um, I think if you're going back 10 years, I think what what you, that example may not be aggressive enough. Uh, Interesting. I say it's at least that. And I think if someone did a study and you said uh, 10 horse field, 10 years ago, uh, the, you know, a, a nine to two shot over a six to one shot, you know, you could, uh, that could be broken down mathematically to where you could know the exact uh, percentage of, of drop in the payoff. Uh, you know, you'd be comparing apples to apples, I believe, as long as the takeout had stayed the same. And, and uh, I think it would be like, very, very dramatic because, you know, I just, I just see it every day. Getting back to the, you know, potential cure or if not, if not cure, correct way to approach it just by being, trying to bet fewer races and be more tight and more surgical with your strikes and, and really trying to crush it when you've got an opinion and and not, worrying about having five horses to stay alive and, and just really trying to skip those situations and then be able to bet more when you actually have an opinion. I mean, that that to me sounds like what, in your own way, both of you are advising about the way to try to maintain some amount of equity in this new wagering environment. Anything to add to that, Sean? No, I mean, that's, you know, that's almost exactly what I'm doing personally is is just, you know, my handle is probably down 60% from what it was 10 years ago. Um, but I'm making as much money. You know, I'm basically trying to play fewer, you know, 
play in the pools that, that you use fewer combinations, doubles and exactas. Um, and, and just trying to, to be right on my good opinions, you know, I'm, the marginal opinions I'll either bet very little on or not bet. And the, and the opinions that I, you know, 10 years ago that I definitely would have, you know, just made an action play on, I don't bet at all, but my strong opinions, I try to bet a little more on, um, yeah, just because my own personal, you know, records have shown that I'm, you know, I'm not beating the try in super pools anymore. Um, even with a rebate, it's just gotten, it's just gotten too hard. So, you know, I try to, I try to play the, the fewer combination pools and then, you know, play pick sixes and stuff when there's, when there's big opportunities for like big paydays. What about what's happened with the wind pool in New York? I would think that in the same spirit of keeping it simpler in, in an era where the competition has gotten so good at the more complicated wagers, having a one horse, the old pick one, Mike, as you <laughs> like to joke about, makes sense. And then I think adding to that appeal is the idea that the computers are now cut off with, with two minutes to post. Have either of you messed around more in the wind pool in New York as a result of uh, of, of the, the current um, wagering ecosystem, shall we call it? Mike, will start with you for that one. I, I bet more uh, to win in New York than I did previously, but I need to do – I need to do better at that. You know, I need to make um, a, a more of an effort uh, to do that. It, 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 you know, and that's my own just, um, you know, falling into the 40 year habit of playing a certain way, you know, and it's, it's, it's hard to, to change it uh, as, as quickly as you'd like to, but uh, it, it's something I'm going to try to focus on more in the, in the future. You know, I, I, I think, um, it, it would be something for decision makers at some of these major circuits to, and smaller circuits too, to, to think about, you know, anywhere that, uh, that I thought the value was protected to some degree. And, and, you know, I, uh, I don't mean excluding computer players. I just mean leveling the playing field to some degree in whatever way that the, that the circuit would want to do that. I think they would draw a lot of interest. I think not only professional players like Sean and myself, but I think there are a lot of serious players out there that play, uh, you know, different uh, levels throughout the year. You know, maybe when Saratoga's running, they're, they're serious daily players. And then other times of the year, not so much. But it's a lot of those, you know, tens of thousands of those people out there. And if a circuit would, uh, make the commitment to them to to give them a fair shake. I think it would, you know, they would really reap some benefits. Sean, any comments on the wind pool in New York, or should we uh, move on to the next race? Uh, I, you know, I'm betting more in the wind pool than I than I ever have in the past. Not just in New York, but just in general. Um, but you know, New York is better because you at least have some idea of the price you're going to end up with. Um, you know, some of these other places, you, you just, you just have no idea anymore what, what the settling price is going to be. So it's, it makes it very hard to, to, to bet races when you just, there's no price discovery anymore. 
Let's talk about this 11th race, the Sir Barton. We've got a field of 10 in this one. Mike, you, you mentioned uh, the possibility of, of having to, to come back in here um, at some point if, uh, if your tighter combinations don't get the job done in the first couple of races. What about here? Is there a horse or horses you'd want to narrow down and, and center on? Um, I saw this race one five six eight P, and that's you know I would like it to be a little narrower. But uh, the only other horse that that I had any interest in at all was a nine, and you know I would just throw it in for a for a cracker, as Sean and I used to say. And uh, uh, I, on the six horse, Mister Jefferson, I think is a little a little interesting, and you'll get a little read on him. Not in the not in the picks leading into this, but Joe, uh, he and Joe ended up in a photo in the Tessio last time. So uh, Joe's performance, even though Joe's on the turf, I think it'll give you a read on Mr. Jefferson. It's interesting, Mr. Jefferson losing that race by a head is the only reason he's eligible for this uh, for for this race, and I, and I totally missed this and was talking about it and then and in the previous show and Naomi admitted to me she'd missed it too because she I, I guess asked um asked Trumpetta about uh Joe and 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 wouldn't he fit wouldn't he fit so well in the Sir Barton not eligible because it's restricted if you can't have won an open sweepstakes I guess mm. to to compete in that one which Mr. Jefferson only barely has it. But yeah, maybe that's a little bit of a maybe that's a little bit of an old school um, uh, class edge for for Mr. Jefferson. This spot, I just thought the race would be run to suit him, and I thought it was interesting. But I think your every horse in your spread might make sense. Which pools do you see getting involved with in this one? Um, I, you know, th- this looks to me like there's some separation between the four horses I mentioned and uh, most of the rest of the field. So when I see that, I'm I'm usually drawn to the tries and the supers, Pete, hoping that uh that I'm uh that I've narrowed the race down well enough where where I can play usually play both the try and the super and hoping that uh that I can catch the try and then the super is kind of a bonus if you were to be nearly exactly right. Another one of those examples of using the two pools um, with each other in a way to to maximize your advantage and reflect your opinion. Sean, how about you? Any thought on the Sir Barton? Anything leap out to you here? You know, I don't. I don't have much to add. I sort of see it exactly exactly the same. Um, it really looks like. I, I guess the only thing I would add would, you know, if you're tossing the nine in, I would think about also maybe tossing the ten in. Um, rugs just you know, he looks like he could work out a good trip as well um, but you know I think the four that Mike mentioned are, are definitely the four main contenders and you know, Mr. Jefferson is probably the right horse to key just because I of those four I don't see a ton of separation in them so I would be more apt to key the bigger price of the four um, you know, that's, that's a, you know, we see it almost exactly the same. Let's talk about the Jim McKay turf sprint 
stakes. And Sean, I'm going to I'm going to lead with you on this one. Um, I thought Karatari looked very strong in the spot. Nothing uh, too clever there, as this is your nine to five morning line favorite, who might even be a little bit shorter than that potentially. Uh, curious if you could see yourself maybe getting involved in doubles in this one going into the big one, or if you're thinking about keeping the powder dry and just waiting for the preakness. Let me ask you a question real quick, because I don't have I don't have this in front of me. Do, what what is the buyer figure on Kiratori's last race? I actually only have the time form. I, I, I have a ninety-seven, Sean. Okay, thank you. Uh, yeah, my figures on that horse aren't as fast as that, um, so I, that would that would lead me to sort of want to take a horse like the like the three, even though we just talked about how Brad Cox on turf isn't the isn't the best right now. But you know, I've got the three seven cents is running faster than Caratori, so. You know, that would be a situation where I would maybe try to play this race, just if I think I have a little information edge there. The the problem is, it's it's very hard to trust any figures coming off of Gulfstream turf um, due to the timing issue. So it's not a it's not a situation where I would really try to hammer it, but I, I would. Yeah, maybe make a small double into the Preakness using the using the Cox horse, or, or maybe one or two others. Um, that that have by this time you'll certainly have a line on. You'll certainly have a line on. Uh, you know it, that the Cox turf narrative could go away just as fast as the Asprey Kentucky uh, narrative. So by this point, you'll have an idea. I mean, if none of the Coxes have run, that might seem a little riskier than if he's got three wins on the day. So we'll, we'll right. have that information before it's time to make a, make a move. Yeah. And like I said earlier, like that's not, that's not a stat that would, you know, if that, if that double was paying good enough, that stat, you know, doesn't mean anything to me. So it would just, yeah. if that's a short price double, then, then maybe you don't play. How about you, Mike? How do you see uh, this race? I was going to use two, three, five, nine, uh, equally, Pete, and, and I know the two looks like, you know, he has races where you want to press him, um, and, you know, and if the turf's playing any, you know, towards speed at all, I, I guess they have a turf sprint on Friday. I don't know that, but I would assume they do. Um, so, you know, that'll be something I'll watch real carefully to see how that turf sprint plays. Because, uh, you know, if it uh, is as hot as it's going to be there this weekend, I know it's not going to be as bad on Friday, but uh, I would think that turf course might get pretty tight by by late on Saturday. And, you know, there's a there's a decent chance that that inside speed in a turf sprint might really play. You know, our friend J.K. uh, loves speed in a turf sprint. And he's right a lot of times. And, you know, that, that really works in turf sprints. So, you know, if, if it, if it turns into that kind of track, I might, you know, I might press the two a little bit, you know, under those circumstances. Um, But uh, if it's an honest track, it'd be two, three, five, nine, and uh, might use six, seven as, as C's maybe. Spready. I'm having a feeling, uh, 
we might have a race where we can narrow down a little bit coming up right here in the grade one Preakness. Sean, you said this was the race on the day you were the most interested in taking a stand in. Uh, where are you going to make your stand? Well, I think, you know, I think this race really narrows down. Um, you know, I think Epicenter, like the rest of the world, probably was the best in the Derby. Has a real nice, you know, nice figure pattern to, to jump forward again, in my opinion. And, and just looks like he's just going to get a dream trip on Saturday. Um, he's going to take a lot of beating if anybody can beat him. Um, but, you know, to me, the value in the race might be the two horse creative minister. Um, you know, I've got that figure. I've got that as a fast figure. I actually have his last race as the, as the fastest figure in here. And, you know, I know the, I know the other figures, well, at least the buyer figures are, are lower and they've, they've clearly split the variant that day at, at Churchill. And I don't think that was the right thing to do. Um, so I just, you know, I'm I'm going to play a, a a big eight two exacta, and then and then flip it a little bit in case the two's you know really some good horse, and then just sort of mix those two around and try with the, with the other logical horses. And you see the other logicals. Uh, uh, how how deep you? I mean, in all in a, in a field this short with um, at least in my view two. Very clear, no hopers in in Fenwick and, and Happy Jack. I mean, would you use the rest of them? Would you would you include an Armagnac? I've been making a little bit of a long shot case for Skippy Longstocking, but you know, maybe you. Maybe, where, where do you get? Let me know who you who else you'd want to mix in there. Uh, I would not use Armagnac. Um, I don't think he's. I don't think he's good enough. I, d- I don't have that last race very fast for him. I don't know. Negative what pace scenario for him too, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it, it is very to me hard because he's you know he's going to be up close against better horses that can outfinish him. The third, the third best speed is rarely a good bet, <laughs> right? Um, you know, so I think you've got to use simplification, secret oath. I think you probably have to use her. I'm going to let. Uh, I'm pretty sure my figures coming out of the wood memorial are a little too high um but even if i back them down you know i'm gonna have to use early voting but not very much if he's a very clear second choice i may try to beat him but i, I completely agree about skippy Longstocking. that that's the one sort of 20 to one or higher horse that i think could could get third or fourth in here don't think he's good enough to win but as we saw in the derby you know, these, these improving horses can improve a hell of a lot more than everybody realizes at times. <laughs> that is for sure. And it did look like an improving kind of a run to me. Another, you know, just uh, pretty, pretty strong on the gallop out too. And, and I thought I had excuses, but we'll see. Let's bring Mike in to get his, his approach in this one. This was the race. I thought you might have a, def- what we call in the book, the default super approach to Mike, but what, what, what are you thinking? Where, how, how do you want to try to hit this freak mistakes? Yeah, you know me pretty well, Pete. Um, I, I, I can't quite get to a default super, but I can, you know, default super in my lingo is one horse over three horses uh, cold, but um, I can't quite get to the three horses underneath. But I do see uh, epicenter, just stone single. I won't be using anybody else. 
in the first position except him in any bet. Um, and I thought one, two, four, nine, simplification, creative minister, uh, secret oath, and uh, what am I talking about? Not one, two, four, nine, one, two, four, five. Sorry. Um, simplification, creative minister, secret oath, and early voting were were the horses to use underneath. And, you know, I've I, I stared at Skippy Longstocking for a long time. And I'm just, I'm going to use early voting kind of because of his pace presence, but I'm just not a big fan of the Wood Memorial. And um, I, uh, maybe maybe the nine will beat me. But, uh, you know, I'll use him in, you know, sprinkle him in a little fourth, maybe something like that in a, in a small ticket. But, uh, I, I, I think I agree totally with Sean's pitches. I mean, those are pretty obvious, I guess, but the Fenwick and the happy Jack, but, uh, Armanac, I don't like it all. I don't, I don't think he's going to get anything, but, uh, I was on your airways with Nikki, the boss on the day, before, the day before the Derby. And I said, that was great. I said, rich strike, uh, no shot, I believe. So you, you, know, <laughs> you may want to load up on Armanac and uh, Happy Jack, uh, but you know you you uh, you got to call them the way you see them. So this race looks like you know a, a decent betting race to me. You're you know you're betting the heavy favorite over uh, probably the, the the next choices, but you can get away with that in these Triple Crown races because the uh, there are enough uh, uh, tourist money and and uh, less educated money in the pools that they you know they won't hammer down these cold numbers like they do on a normal race. Meat on the bone—that's what we call it uh, on the shows. You get a little bit more meat on the bone on a triple crown day, and it does allow you to do things that maybe you can't do. I had a half cocked theory that maybe there's a world in which because of that type of phenomenon and stories around about a couple of these horses that could epicenter be something close to even money or, or is he going to be the three to five that he'd be on Thursday at Belmont? If I guessed, I'm, I'm guessing him at, I'm guessing him at four to five, but you know, maybe you get, maybe you get lucky and get a little more than that, but I'm uh, I'll be surprised that if you do, I'll, I'll probably also be trying to play my little trick that we've spoken about before doing a, a, a place parlay or a place and show parlay, depending on the horse, uh, because horses like Epicenter will pay surprisingly well, probably in the place slot. That's a very interesting idea. Sean, what's your guess as to what price he'll be? And don't let me forget that I do want to argue with Mike about uh, the Wood Memorial before we, <laughs> before we move on too far. But go, let, let's, talk about, let's talk about the price on, on Epicenter. What's your guess? In my mind, he's, he's four to five. I think Mike's right on. I think, you know, he probably, probably should be three to five, but that extra liquidity on the day, I think, keeps him – keeps him a little higher than that. Um, I'd be very surprised if he's even money, but he, you know, they, as we've seen over the last few years, they bet some of these races really weird. Um, you know, I, I imagine the Philly's going to take a little money just because she's the Philly. Um, so, 
you know, you might get even money, but I think four to five is probably about right. All right, let's talk Wood Memorial for a second. So I don't think Mo Donegal ran that bad, all things considered, in the Derby. You know, I mean, obviously, if you told me uh, it was going to be a supersonic pace and a horse was going to come up the rail to close and win, I, I would have been counting my future money on, on Mo Donegal. And he was disappointing in that sense. And it's not like he closed with great alacrity there, but I don't know. I just didn't think it was all that bad. And it's a, it's a race. I, you know, sometimes I say things like this and it just it sounds a little flaky, but I just thought it looked like good form. Um, and, and, and I'm, I'm curious, Mike, why you're taking such a dim view of it. Are, are you going to bet Mo Donegal in the Belmont? My, <laughs> I don't my think he's got the right running video. style, does he? Has anybody ever book, made book on your airwaves before? <laughs> we can we can i think jim k and i have made i mean we've we've made some ridiculous bets but i don't think they've been you know proper so we, we can we can do that okay get me back uh, <laughs> I, you know i i just mo donegal my my take on him was in the derby you know was i i thought he was dangerous because of the pace scenario but you know and i know he got fan wide but um for 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 that style horse to get the pace scenario, you know the hundred year flood pace scenario in the Derby, uh, <laughs> and and not be able to come with anything more than that, I fair. I don't have any use for him. Yeah, that's fair. Where where do you land on him? I know you liked him going into the Derby, Sean. What do you think coming out? Uh, you know, I was underwhelmed, but I think. I don't think he really got the best setup in the world. I know the pace was in his favor, but I, you know, I think Irad Ortiz made an enormous mistake on that horse um, by being too passive on the turn and, and allowing himself to be put in the position to be, you know, 15 wide in the stretch. You know, what he, he had every opportunity to do what um, Rich Strike did and what Sonny Leon did. And you see, you know, you see that kind of ride in Hong Kong a lot because they, you know, always have 12 or 14 horses in those fields. And the guys that break on the outside almost always either gun to the lead, excuse me, gun to the lead to get over or drop back to last to get over. And when they drop back to last, you know, the, the announcer will even say sometimes in the race call, they're riding for luck. But what I've noticed is you are riding for luck, but you've also got to be aggressive enough to make your own luck. And what Sonny Leone did was, you know, he just said, I've got horse and I'm going to be aggressive and I'm, I'm, I'm going the, the shortest way around here. And, and I rad, you know, let him do that. And then it was too late. He, then he had to go 15 wide and, you just can't, you know, the way that pace scenario was shaping up, you, you had to move a little bit earlier, in my opinion. You didn't want to be passing 20 horses in the lane. You really only wanted to be passing 10 once you got into the lane. But, you know, so I'm I'm going to give Modongo one more chance. But, I'm, you know, it's he better be a decent price. Interesting. I do worry about the pace scenario for him. We'll see. We'll see who turns up and all that. But I just think as a race, um, yeah. I mean, I, I get, so Mike, you're you're 
questioning the form is entirely due to Mo Donegal, or did you have any other piece of data either coming out of the race or, or another piece of form coming out of the race that made you question? Well, I didn't, I didn't particularly like Mo Donegal's race. And you know, when I, when we, I really, I, it, 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 it hit me harder when I was handicapping the Preakness and I looked at Skippy Longstocking and he got beat three and three quarters in the wood. Um, and I just look at his overall form and it's not exciting to me. Um, you know, and it just makes me question that, that whole race to some degree. And it doesn't mean I'm right, but it just, you know, that's the way my mind works is, uh, I, um, you, you know, that looks to me like Mo Donegal and, and early voting weren't beating a lot in the wood. And then that leads me to, to be negative on the race. And then that, you know, uh, I know there were, it was a hard race to make a time on, to put a figure on. And, uh, so I'm, I'm just, you know, questioning, uh, the, 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 the competition in the race. And I'm questioning the, the, the figures, you know, like Sean saying himself is, you know, you're, there's, there's some question there as to what, uh, what the figure really was. It's not a solid figure. It's interesting. And Skippy Longstocking is weird like this because I totally get what you're saying. He looked like an exposed horse. He looked like we knew exactly what he was before two runs back. But I just think he might be a weird case, and I, and I don't know if this is down to his breeding or just think about him as an individual, where he, to me, just looks like he completely changed who he was as of that race, two starts back because that was a that was a got a perfect setup, but that's a decent race. That's produced pretty good form. There've been six runbacks out of that allowance race with two winners and a third. So you know, I think that race was okay. And then just again, the visual impression that he gave to me with the trouble he had, with the way he galloped out. I just, but I get it. Like there's another way of looking at the world. And if you look at Skippy Longstocking's previous body of work, it does make sense to think that the Wood Memorial was maybe just meh. Oh, we're going to certainly have we're going to have a lot better data point coming out of the Preakness right. with those two right. in there. See, and I had I had two ideas running through my head, which you know from us working together on the book, uh, that I look for things I can tie together. And my initial uh, slightly negative uh, opinion of Skippy Longstocking, I combine that with. Um, the trip that, that I kind of picture him getting as I design the race. And I, I don't think it's a favorable trip. I think it's kind of a wide, uh, mid pack trip that, that I don't think will be helpful to him. And, and I'm combining that with, uh, I went back and, and checked my bias notes from last year uh, on Preakness weekend and the inside was, was pretty decent. It was definitely helping to some degree to be to save save ground last last year, Friday and Saturday. So um, don't know that it's gonna you know that that'll be the case. That wasn't the case today, but I know on these big weekends they soup these tracks up and things can change on when the card starts on Friday, and it can even change halfway through Friday's card or halfway through Saturday's card. So I, I you know I know that that track can have a tendency to go inside. So that's just another small 
factor, you know, we're handicapping out ahead of time. So I'm, um, you know, I'm factoring that as a small negative against Skippy long socking at the same time. Makes sense. All right. We are over time. I, I thought we'd maybe gone 45 minutes. I just checked the time and we're well over an hour. So we do have to wrap this thing up, but I do want to give you each a chance to offer a closing thought. It can be a horse we haven't talked about that you want to, a bet that you think might be interesting to uh, sink your teeth into on the card or just a, a general wish for the listeners out there. Uh, Sean, we're going to start with you for, for a closing thought on this Preakness Day card. Oh, it has to be on the Preakness Day card. I was gonna, I was gonna tout the million seven carried over in the Hong Kong Six up on Wednesday. I no, you can do that. Everybody you can should do that. Everybody should look at Happy <laughs> Valley on Wednesday. It's a big opportunity. Um, now, where, where now can any ADW? I don't think any ADW can participate in that fun, can they? Uh, no, it has to be watch and wager. Okay, we'll give a, them a plug which because is this obscure is obscure ADW. Um, yeah but they are the only ones to take it for some odd reason. That is very odd, but I, mean, I take it you'll be studying the form days out for that one? Uh, yes, probably probably pretty soon, I would imagine. Explain the six-up for those that don't know real quick. So the six-up is basically, you know, what it really is is like a place pick six with a bonus if you get all six winners. So you're your consolations, you know, you can run second six times and still, you still get a payoff. You get paid for that, but you have to have all six winners to get the full um, payout. And how is it allocated the pool? What percentage to the place and what percentage to the win? Just roughly speaking, we won't hold your feet. to the I, w- I want to say it's like 70, 30, but I'm not, I'm not totally sure to be honest. 70 to the place, 30 to the 30 for the winner's bonus. Yeah. Kind of Maybe, you know, honestly, I don't know. I shouldn't <laughs> say I, I, I don't know because I, I don't, you know, I don't play it as a place bet. You know, I'll be sort of gotcha. play it You're as trying a pick to hit six, the pick six, but and it it's is just a console. It is nice to, you know, you can take some dirty beats at that in, in, in those turf races. Um, and it's nice to, you know, go four of six with two seconds and still get some money back. Um, I love this idea and it's something, you know, we've, had some private conversations about ways of maybe implementing something similar here. And maybe someday we will. Mike Maloney, a closing thought for you. And it can be, you know, you can, you can give us something, you know, at uh, Indiana grand, if you want. <laughs> Keep working on that uh, win place pick six, Pete. That would fit right in with my style of handicapping. Um, bring that to the U S I would love it. Two quick things. Uh, one is, and there's neither one is a tip, but one is I, I, I have to say, the 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 ride Sonny Leon's ride in the Derby was excellent ride, but I thought Joel Rosario the that there are very few riders that I've ever seen that could have put that ride on uh, at the center in the Derby. I thought that was it was absolutely brilliant. To you have to anticipate the pace to make that ride. You have to have the stones to take back like that on a horse that. If he doesn't fire or if the pace doesn't turn out to be, um, you know, he made that move a few strides out of the gate. And if the pace doesn't turn out to be insane, he looks like an idiot. So and he's going to take a lot of criticism. Um, So, you know, I'm I'm guessing that came from the barn that Asmussen was on, on board and it was a team decision. It was planned out ahead of time. And, and, and that part's brilliant, too, to me. 
because, you know, very few jocks, trainers, owners, whoever was made in on the decision would would have the, the knowledge and the insights to to take that horse back. He'd never been anywhere near, uh, you know, that far back in a race. And it was just, I just think it was brilliant. And Rosario executed it perfectly. And I just think it was one of the greatest rides in the history of the Derby. Uh, the other thing is, and I know we're over, I'll be quick, but just going through this with you and Sean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I enjoy listening to your guys' comments. And I can't help but think when I was a young man and I was trying to learn racing and, I, and the most exciting thing that could happen in my racing life was for Andy Byer to come out with a book or Steve Chris <laughs> to come out with a book. And I would stay up all night and read it. There's no way I could go to bed until I finished it because it, it just meant so much to have that in my hand. And now for the young horse players out there and the people that are interested to have access, and I'm not talking about Sean and I tonight, although you can learn a lot from Sean, but just daily on your airwaves, the information, the access to knowledge and the things that you can learn uh, just listening to, to what you put on the air is incredible. And I just, uh, I feel happy for all the young horse players out there that, uh, that have the opportunity to, to, uh, to access all this knowledge and, and not have to, to fight for it, uh, <laughs> as hard as we did back in the day. Wow. That's an incredibly kind thing of you to say, and means a lot coming from you. And, and let's just hope that, uh, you know, the game itself can do the things it needs to do in the big picture of life to, to give us all a chance to survive and continue to thrive, whether it's being creative about wagering menus or um, leveling the playing field against computers or presenting better information. I mean, it ain't rocket science, the stuff that we that that we ask for and and the game needs but you know hey if we can be even a little bit of a part of of a successful ecosystem and and try to push things towards positive change well then hey i feel like uh that's about as nice as compliment as as we can get mike so thank you for that really appreciate it very welcome all right well thank you one more time mike maloney well thank you Sean Borman. We'll thank our friends at Mill Ridge one more time. Millridge.com. That's the place to go for more information. I encourage everybody, you know, Keeneland, if you've never been, go come for the planet trip. Either go for the fall meet, go for the Breeders' Cup. Make sure you do tours. Horse country, great place to learn about that. But I would uh, request Mill Ridge as part of what you're doing. They do a great job on that tour. You see an amazing operation. And these are people who want to really bridge the gap between horsemen and horse players and there to answer questions, you know, drop a line over there, millridge.com. If you want to learn more, reach out to me at looms boldly on Twitter in the money through the contact page that goes right to my email. Um, really proud to be friends with that crew over there and think they do an absolutely fantastic job. The TRF 10 strike racing. Most of all, though, I want to thank all of you, the listeners for making these shows so much fun to do. This show's been a production of In the Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kitchen. I'm losing my voice, but I'm still Peter Thomas Fortadal. May you win all your photos. <laughs> <laughs>